I love to travel. And by God's grace, I've been able to visit a lot of countries. And I've been in some of the world's great cities. If I were to ask you, what's the biggest city you've ever been to and what your memories of that place might be, what would come to your mind? Anybody? New York City. New York City? Yeah. Los Angeles. Washington, D.C. I've been there by about ten times. We were there not too long ago again. Anyone else? I've been in Beijing, too. Yeah. Amen. I've been to, of course, uh, New York and Chicago and... Washington and Boston and Miami and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Honolulu and London and Paris and Berlin and Rome and Athens and Istanbul and Cairo and Jerusalem and Hong Kong and Sydney and I've been a lot of places. But you know, the greatest city is one I haven't been to yet. Although, because of the blood of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my heart, I'm a citizen of that city. I have a U.S. passport, but my citizenship is in heaven, according to Philippians chapter 3. And I want to talk today, briefly, you know, if a preacher has ten points in his sermon, you know it's not going to be too briefly. (laughs) But... But at any rate, I want to talk as briefly as I can today about ten features of the greatest city of all. And if you are a believer, I'm trusting that all of you are, one day we will reside in that city. You'll find it described in the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter, I feel something like a glorified real estate agent here today, telling you all the features of this city and why every one of us ought to want to dwell there one day. The first thing on this list that I have before you there is that it's a sacred city. Since I couldn't get my PowerPoint uh, program to work on the computer back there, I thought I'd have these ready just in case. So the first point is there, it is a sacred city. And you know that sacred has the idea of a hallowed city, a holy city, a pure, righteous city. One that's dedicated and set apart to worship. And there'll be a lot of things going on in that city. I, I know that in the book of Revelation chapter 22, it says down in verse 3, and his servants shall serve him. I have no idea what that will entail. There'll be work that we do in heaven. We're not going to lay around for eternity on a cloud plucking on a harp. God's got work for us to do in heaven. And I don't know exactly what it will involve, but I do know the number one pursuit in all of eternity will be to worship Him. For He is altogether worthy. This is a sacred city. I say that because in Revelation chapter 21 and verse Two, it says, and I, John, saw the holy city. See, it's it's a holy city. That's another name for sacred. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It says that again in verse 10 of this chapter. 
He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city. And I, I don't I know I'm not supposed to add to or take away or change the word of God. But in my notes here that I've given you today, I didn't just call it the great city. I called it the greatest city because I don't think there's anything that compares. He showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. I think about this uh, being a city on, on the earth. That God has chosen. You know, I don't have them in your notes, but in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 36, it speaks about Jerusalem. He's talking about the earthly Jerusalem. And God says, the city I have chosen. He says it again in chapter 11 and verse 13 of 1 Kings and also in chapter 9 and verse 3. Jerusalem is the city that God has chosen. To put His name there. That's the city out of all the other cities in this world He has chosen. So the earthly Jerusalem is something special in God's plan and purpose. It's a holy city. But this is the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven. I don't know exactly how that will take place. Whether this city will hover over the glorified earth. Uh, somehow God will work that all out. I don't know exactly how it's all going to take place. In chapter 22 and verse 19, again, it calls um, this, the, it says, uh, if any man take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city. And so, In those passages, this is called a holy city or a sacred city. You might even, if you wanted to change it, you could call it a sanctified city. The second point I want to make is this is a shadowless city. A shadowless city. And you know, it means without shadows or darkness, a bright, illuminated city. Now I want to kind of tied this point and the first one together a little bit. So many of the cities in our world struggle with crime and violence. And uh, they're filled with people that are sinners. Wouldn't it be wonderful in this heavenly city I'm talking about to have a city where there's no unrighteous person residing there. You could walk down the street and you wouldn't have to worry about being attacked or violence or anything like that. And that's kind of going to go along with my next point here as as well. But the idea is, in a lot of cities, one of the things they try to do to combat crime is they have lighting. I think Ben Franklin was the first one in this country that suggested that in Philadelphia they put street lights out to help combat crime because, you know, uh, men love darkness. Sinners love darkness rather than light. So you, you light a city and it will cut down on the crime rate. And so this is going to be a shadowless city that you're never going to have to worry about who's lurking in the shadows because uh, there's never going to be any shadows. It talks about this city in chapter 21 of Revelation and verse 23. Listen to what it says. I'll start in verse 22. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did light it, And the Lamb is the lamp of it. This is a city in verse 25. It says, The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And then again in chapter 22 and verse 5, 
And there shall be no night there, and they need no lamp, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And one of the songs that uh, Mike led us in there before the service began, uh, it ended with this line about uh, nothing but light uh, uh, hides thee or something. Uh, God is a... Brilliant, uh, I don't know how to say, radiant, glorious being. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And uh, Jesus Christ, He said to be the light of the world. Well, He's sure going to be the light of this world in eternity. And so there's going to be no need of candles or light bulbs or fluorescent tubes. Uh, it's going to be a city that will be brilliantly illuminated uh, all the time. And so it will be a shadowless city. Back in the book of Isaiah, which has some things to say, uh, even back in the Old Testament about the new heaven and the new earth, it says in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 19 and 20, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But the Lord shall give unto thee an everlasting, shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God, thy glory. Uh, The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, And the days of thy mourning shall be ended. What a wonderful thing to think about. Um, You know, I kind of like nighttime uh, for this reason. I get weary and I get tired. And I want to close my eyes sometimes and go to sleep. And the nighttime helps me to rest. But I don't think I'll ever get weary in heaven. I don't think I'm ever going to have a time where I'm tired and worn out and I just say, I I need to lay down and take a nap. I I think that somehow in glory, that will never be an issue. So I'd, I'd want it to be illuminated all the time. And that's exactly what we will have. This is not only a sacred city. And a shadowless city. This is a secure city. Uh, secure, it has the idea of free from danger. A safe city. A tranquil city. It says here in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 12. The city had a, a wall great and high and had twelve Gates. Now I want to stop right there. I've seen this different places around the world where a house will have a high wall around it. Uh, It will have gates that you have to go through to enter into that property. The gates are guarded. Uh, You can't just walk in there. You have to gain access past their security. I can remember down, uh, we went to visit my son Micah. Some of you may remember Mike and Lindsay used to attend here when they lived in Albany. and uh, Not in Albany, in, in uh, the plains here. And um, I went to see them when they served for a year down on the mission field in Santiago, Chile. And they had rented a house from another missionary couple that happened to be on furlough that year. And that they used that couple's car and lived in their home. And when he picked us up at the airport and he took us out to that place, pulled up to this walled community with a security gate, and you had to stop and identify yourself, and then they opened up the gate and you could drive in. That's what they call a gated community. Uh, It represents security. It's supposed to represent safety. I want to say that the New Jerusalem is the ultimate gated community. 
Uh, it has high walls, not just walls, but a wall great and high, verse 12, and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. Um, angels are nothing to mess around with. You remember when God sent out that one angel and he killed a 185,000 of the Assyrians in one night, one angel. Uh, angels you don't mess with. And uh, so uh, this is going to be a secure city above anything that we have ever experienced in this life. Back again in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, it says in verse 18... Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. This is going to be a wonderfully secure city. Here's another thought. It's going to be a stable city. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced an earthquake. The closest I ever came was I was at a baseball game one day when my son Nathan was playing and I was sitting up on a hillside overlooking the baseball field and a friend of mine was sitting there next to me and all of a sudden, sitting on the ground, it went, and I looked at my friend and I said, did you feel that? And he said, yeah. And I said, what was that? And I said, I think that was an earthquake. And that night on the news out of Huntington, West Virginia, we live down that way, um, they said there was an earthquake in Gallipolis that day. So I know a little bit about what that was like, but that was just, just like that and it was over. When my son Micah and his wife Lindsay were down in Santiago, Santiago Chile, uh, teaching for that one year under ABWE Mission Board. We went to visit them in January of 2010. We spent a week with them. Our daughter Rachel went with us. We stayed in this house I was telling you about where they were living. Then we left. Two weeks after we left, Chile was hit with an 8.8 uh registered scale earthquake probably one of the top 10 earthquakes that's ever occurred in human history that we know of and Micah told me that it started out and it was shaking pretty hard in the house and he thought oh, it'll be over in a minute because he'd had these before just little tremors and it kept going and it kept going finally he and Lindsay got out of the house and they went in the backyard, and Micah said he was standing back there and he felt like he was surfing in the backyard. This earthquake lasted a full three minutes nonstop. And to put this in perspective, the city that was closer to the epicenter of the earthquake was a city called Concepcion down by the uh, Pacific coast there. And that city, as a result of this earthquake, moved over three meters, ten feet to the west. You say, well, it was a little city? No. We were in Santiago, Chile, which was a city of three and a half million people. And you know, they've got really precise measurements with this global positioning stuff anymore. They said that the whole city of Santiago, three and a half million people, moved seven inches to the west. I can't, I can't comprehend that. that. That's absolutely amazing. You know, it tells me in the book of Hebrews, turn there with me for just a minute. The book of Hebrews, and some of you may know 
Warren Wearsby. I had the opportunity a few years ago to <clears throat> spend a whole day with Warren Wearsby. And one of the things he talked about was um, the book of Hebrews. And he said if he was ever going to write another book on the book of Hebrews, he would entitle it, The Things Which Cannot Be Shaken. And he's based it on this statement there in chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, verse 27. And this word, yet, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things which are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The idea is that there are a lot of things in this life that God once in a while just shakes things up to let you know these things aren't permanent. These things aren't uh, dependable. These things are... Uh, kind of in flux. But there are some things that cannot be moved, that cannot be shaken. People get all wrapped up on the great cities of this world and things. I think it's interesting, and I, I've left the notes here on this in um, Revelation sixteen, eighteen through 20. It says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty and an earthquake and so great. And, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every Island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. The idea is when, when this earthquake, and it's mentioned there in verse uh, chapter 18 as well, of uh, 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 the book of Revelation. I'm sorry, no, it's, it's just there in chapter 16. But this earthquake... I said the 8.8 one in Chile was one of the top ten in human history, but there's coming an earthquake that's going to be greater than any one that's ever occurred. And it's described here. When the earthquake took place in Chile in 2010, it not only changed the land mass, it sent out a tsunami. I'm talking about from the coast of Chile two-thirds of the way down South America, it sent out a tsunami Tsunami that hit Japan, that hit Southern California. It, it was amazing the damage that was done, but it's nothing like the damage that's going to be done here. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. I, I'm thinking mountains collapsed. Um, islands were inundated. Uh, with this earthquake, things in this world can be shaken. Not so in the city that we're going to be in there in heaven. Revelation 21 and verse 14, it says this, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. This This is a city that had foundations. You know, that's... Crucial if you're going to withstand the storms and the troubles. The house that's built upon a rock stands. The house that's built upon the sand falls. And so this will be a city that has foundations like any, like, unlike any that ever existed before. And this city cannot be moved. It's going to stand. It's going to be secure. It's a stable city. Uh, it says, by the way, in Psalm 125 and verse 1, it speaks of Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. And I think about the fact that 
God is going to give us a city there that cannot be moved. It's a sacred city. It's a shadowless city. It's a secure city. It's a stable city. It's a symmetrical city. I I did these little cards up here uh, primarily for this word because I had to look it up three times to figure out how it was spelled. I I used the word symmetrical, but I I couldn't remember how to spell it. And so that's what it means. It means even, well-proportioned, balanced, harmonious, matching. And so this will be a symmetrical city. I say that because if you look there in Revelation 21 and verse 15 and following. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates of it and its wall. And the city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. 12,000 furlongs calculates out to be about 1,500 miles. It says the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So, this city is symmetrical. Uh, It's 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles deep and 1,500 miles high. I think um, that would not sit upon the earth like the city of Jerusalem does. You know, the whole country of Israel at one point with the West uh, Bank issues and all, one point the whole uh, country of Jerusalem is only nine miles wide. This is a city 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And it says it comes down from God out of heaven. I think it probably hovers above the glorified earth. I don't know that. A lot of things we're going to figure out when it happens that we don't really understand right now. But people have speculated, is this city in the shape of a pyramid or a cube? If you had a pyramid, it could have the base 1,500 miles this way and the base 1,500 miles that way. And the four sides could come up to a point that rose to 1,500 miles in the middle. So it's possible that this city is in the form of a pyramid. But I wrote in here the reference to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 20. And if you would go back there and read, you'd find out. uh, In fact, let's go there. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 20. Excuse my voice. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 20. And the inner sanctuary, it may say oracle in yours, the inner sanctuary, I'm talking about the Holy of Holies here, that's what's referencing And the inner sanctuary in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height of it. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. This is talking about the Holy of Holies. A cubit was the length from a man's elbow to the tip of his middle finger. Well, thank you there, Troy. Uh, Usually, for most men, a cubit would be about 18 inches or a foot and a half. So if this room, the Holy of Holies, was 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits, it would be 
30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. Pretty good size room. I'm wondering, wouldn't be much different than this room, except for the height. I'd say, I'm just guessing, but I'd say this room is about 30 by 30, pretty close. But the ceiling's maybe only about 10, maybe 11 or so here. At any rate, <clears throat> that's the dimensions of the earthly sanctuary. And I'm wondering if the New Jerusalem isn't patterned after the Holy of Holies. And so if that's true, it would be in the shape of a cube, a perfect cube. And people say, well, uh, you know, they, they didn't have enough room on the ark for everybody that wanted to get on. Oh, yes, they did. Only eight people wanted to get on. And you say, well, will there be enough room in heaven for everybody? Everybody gives their heart to the Lord, you know. Um, they're, they're, if their name's written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to be there. But I wonder how many floors there are in this city. Fifty, You know, if you had 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, and then that was floor number one, and you went up another mile, and then you put another 1,500 feet by 115 miles, and then you went up another mile, uh, there'd be a lot of space in this city. Enough for all of the redeemed of all of the ages. It, it says uh, there's going to be, uh, according to Revelation chapter 7, <clears throat> an innumerable company out of every nation and kindred and people and tongue. I don't know how many are going to be there. Biggest city I ever lived in is probably Chillicothe, Ohio. Might have been... 50,000 in its heyday. Uh, not that much now, maybe 35 or so. <clears throat> I live in Gallup Lease, Ohio. When I moved there in 1979, it was 8,500 people in the city. After the last census, it's 3,500 people. It's declined. It's no longer listed as a city, it's a village. Now, um, but I tell you what, this is going to be an enormous city, symmetrical city, and it's going to be a spacious, wonderful place to dwell. It's a symmetrical city. It's a sparkling city, reflecting light, sparkling, glittering, glowing, radiant, gleaming. It's a sparkling city. I say that because... <clears throat> it says in Revelation 21 and verse 11, the city was having the glory of God and her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now I'm told that a jasper stone is different than a diamond, but it's like a diamond. It's brilliant. It's clear. It's reflects the light uh, wonderfully. And so uh, this city is going to be uh, like a diamond and it's going to be having the glory of God that shines through. You ever see, <clears throat> you go into a jewelry store to buy a uh, piece of jewelry, they'll lay it out on black velvet and then they'll bring out one of these little high-intensity halogen lights and they'll beam it right on that thing. And then they'll polish it up and they'll lay it there. And man, it's just dazzling. You'll never see it that bright again after you pay 10000 for that stone. <laughs> You'll always say, well, it always looked brighter in the store. <laughs> uh, it did, that's right. But at any rate, this will be a, a city that will just sparkle. Um it says in verse 18 here uh, of chapter 21, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold-like clear glass. I always thought that was interesting. Gold-like clear glass. You've seen gold, and you don't see through gold. Why does it say it this way? Because 
Somebody said it's like trying to explain the color red to a blind man. How do you do that? It's just impossible to adequately convey what this city's going to be like in words to finite minds. But it's going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen before. It, it talks about this city, by the way, back in chapter 4 of Revelation. You know, when it talks about the throne back there. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. So the description of this city is like all these precious stones and the light is just reflecting and refracting off of it. And it, it's just going to be a... Well, you think about uh, people who like what they call bling. If you like bling, you're going to like this city. Because it's the blingiest. That's, that's a new word I made up. The blingiest city you've ever seen. This city is not only sparkling, this city is, I know this sounds like a strange word to use, but it's symbolic. I don't mean, I absolutely want to make clear that you understand, I don't mean by that that I think this is just some sort of an allegorical imaginary city that doesn't really exist. When I think of heaven, I spell it with a capital H for a place name because it's real. And we're going to go there. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, not an idea, not a, a fictional imagination. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And our home in heaven is going to be real. So I don't mean by the word symbolic that it's uh, somehow imaginary. But I mean that it represents or consists of symbols. Now, uh, let me explain that. In Revelation 21 and verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. 12 pearls. Why would God determine to make the gates into the city of pearl? I, I can't imagine this enormous pearl, maybe with a hole or a gateway through the middle of it and that's how you entered in to the city now this city had 12 gates read about that up in verse 12 but why a pearl and you know how a pearl is formed the the clam gets a piece of sand or some sort of irritant in a certain place within the clam and it's cutting the tissue and it's irritating the tissue. So the clam secretes this emulsion that coats that grain of sand or that irritant and makes it not as sharp and not as jagged. But then once it's coated, it's a little bit bigger and it's still irritating. So they coat it again and they coat it again and they coat it again. And finally, it grows into a pearl. That's how a pearl is formed. A pearl is a thing of beauty that is a result of suffering. You think about being able to enter into this city, and every time you enter in, you see that pearl and you think, this whole place is a thing of beauty because of suffering. Who's suffering? Jesus' sufferings made it possible for us to enter into that city. That pearl gate is real, but it's also symbolic. It's a reminder of what he suffered to make our access possible. It tells me up here in verse 12 of this chapter, it had a great wall, uh, a wall great and high and 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written on the gates, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. There's going to be, on this four square city, there'll be three gates, three gates, 
three gates, three gates, 12 gates around. And over the name of each gate will be the name of one of the tribes of Israel. I've often thought when you go back in the book of Exodus and you read about how that the um, nation was supposed to organize their camp and the tabernacle was to be in the middle and then the certain tribes were to camp on this end and certain tribes on this end and certain tribes on this end and certain tribes on that end. I've often wondered if the gates of the city aren't going to be after the pattern of the way those tribes were arranged in the camp of Israel. <clears throat> this much I know. The gates... Every time you enter in, you're going to be reminded of Christ's suffering that made it possible. You're going to be reminded of the nation of Israel that went through all the suffering that they did. And God used the nation of Israel, didn't he? They're the ones that gave us the scriptures. They're the ones that uh, um, provided uh, for the Savior. It was He, he came through the nation of Israel. Uh, so we're going to be reminded of how God used the nation of Israel. And then every one of the foundation stones, it says the foundation stones had the names of the 12 apostles in them. I think about there in verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Every time we enter in and out of that city, we're going to be reminded of the church and of the nation of Israel, and the sufferings of Christ, all that symbolism will be there for all of eternity for us. I think about the fact that this is not only a symbolic city, this is a scenic city. You know, scenic having the idea of having natural beauty, picturesque. You go and look at real estate, they always talk about the three things that count. Location, location, location. If you're on a place where you have ocean views or views of the water and you have, uh, uh, you know, the greenery and forestry and the landscapes and everything, that property is considered to be prime real estate. You know, the, the million-dollar view. Well, I think about this city. It tells me in Revelation 22, verse 1, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bore twelve kinds of fruit and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation, and there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. <clears throat> Every time I drive along a highway and I think, over in this field, that'd be a pretty field if it wasn't for all that multifloral rose growing up all along the fence lines. And, uh, you know, you, you think about how that the curse has affected even the beauty of the world that we know. But when you live in this city, you're going to be a, along a beautiful river. And it says this river is as pure as crystal. I live on the Ohio River. You drive down by the Ohio River and you look at it and you see old tires and you see <laughs> beer cans floating down the river and plastic bottles and you see all kinds of junk out there, a floating... Uh, uh, a cooler going down, down the, you know, all kinds of junk in the river, and the water's just muddy looking. Think about a, a river that's pure as crystal and no curse, so there's nothing around there that looks uh, deteriorated or old or worn out, and it's going to have the trees, and they're they're just going to be magnificent. I tell you, it's going to be a scenic city. Now, here's the one point I got a little bit nervous about using this, but I don't, I don't feel bad about using this. 
you're going to be shocked at this one. Not only is this a sacred city, a shadowless city, a secure city, a stable city, a symmetrical city, a sparkling city, a symbolic city, a scenic city. Here we go. It's a segregated city. Now, what do I mean by that? Because I read back in Revelation chapter 7 that there in heaven, there's going to be an innumerable company of folks from every nation and people and tribe and kindred and tongue. We used to sing as a little boy, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. And that's true. Some of the dearest saints that we will ever come to know look different than we do. I'm not saying this city is segregated on any racial basis. That's not what I mean at all. Segregated means restricted to members of one group. Who are all the people in this city? They all have to have their name in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that right? Chapter 21 and verse 27. And there shall in no way enter into it anything that defileth, neither he that worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's segregated to only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, born-again Christians, they're the only ones that are going to be there. Well, maybe I need to revise that a little bit because it talks about in Hebrews that you have come to Mount Zion, to the holy heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to the church of the firstborn. As I read that, the inhabitants of this city will be the holy angels, the spirits of just men made perfect. I think that means believers from Old Testament times. And then the church of the firstborn. That means New Testament Christians. So, But it's going to be the redeemed of all the ages plus the holy angels. But it's going to be a restricted group. And I hope and pray that every one of you have trusted Christ as your Savior. About done. Last one. Everybody's supposed to say, Amen. Last one. It's a sorrowless city. Without sadness. Without grief. Without regrets. Without heartache. I wonder if when we get there, there won't be some initial regrets. One of my favorite songs has the words that go like this. By and by when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, by and by when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. I think every one of us are going to be saddened when we get there that we didn't live more completely, more relentlessly, more faithfully for our Savior. There may be some initial tears when we get there. I wish I had given him more. But by his grace, it tells me in Revelation 7.17 and chapter 21 and verse 4. That God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. It's wonderful to think that when we're in that city, 
we're going to to place that Adrian Rogers said we're going to a land where there's no more sorrow. Let's see. I got I got this quote wrong. Let me think about it for a second. There, we're going to a land where there's no more sighing or crying or dying. It took me a minute to remember that, actually. No more sighing or crying or dying. It's going to be a, a place where we're never going to have to shed another tear. Never going to have to lose another loved one. Never going to have to deal with another disappointment. It's going to be a place of eternal joy. Tells me in the Psalms, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I've lived in some interesting places, but this is going to be the best of all. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better than anything we've ever known in this life. Are you ready to go? Are you laying up some things for retirement there? Laying up treasure in heaven? Uh, Honoring the Lord by the way you live? I hope and pray if there be one in our midst here today that's never yet trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins that you'll do so before it's eternally too late. Father, use this message to be an encouragement to our hearts. We have some struggles dealing with COVID and dealing with people dying and dealing with all the issues that uh, are so uncertain before us. Thank you that when it's all over, when we go to our heavenly home, it's going to be a place that's indescribable in terms of the joy and the happiness and the peace that we will experience there. Help us, Father, to be encouraged by that so that we live to the fullest for you, even here and now. Use this message to honor your Son, to edify your people, and to exalt your name. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.